Welcome to episode 328 of the Win in 6 podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan, hello. Hello. How are you doing? It's been a busy, eventful week of book stuff. We're getting to the finish line. What, two? I think it's two weeks until the playoffs start on Saturday, this coming Saturday. Two weeks. From this area, I said that I butchered that sentence. It's pretty Nice-wise close there. <laughs> it's coming up on us pretty fast now. Um, yeah. I, I look, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a couple of wins over the Nets. Um, busy week of news. I, I think generally things are trending in a relatively positive place for where the books could be, should be at this point in the season. Um, it's definitely different to how we've approached the the home stretch of the regular season over the past two years, and I guess some of the feelings that are coming off the team are different. But I have to say, given what this season has been about, I like a lot of what I'm seeing. We'll maybe get into some of that as we go on. But we've got a whole bunch of stuff to get through. First, we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping. So... We're very busy behind the scenes here. Jordan, in particular, uh, has been worked to the bone behind the scenes at Win and Six Towers. And it's possible, it's possible there could be some news to come in the weeks ahead. We'll keep you updated when, if that becomes relevant. But in the meantime, just a heads up on a change that will be happening. I'm not pulling a plug immediately. Don't worry, no need to panic. Um, but to really go behind the scenes on this, we're nearly six years old, six, six birthday coming up soon, Jordan. And throughout that time, birthday. yeah, <laughs> throughout that time, our, our podcast has been hosted on SoundCloud. And as a result, I'm sure that's where quite a few of you go to listen to us. That will be changing. I'm going to do it gradually. We'll be switching over to Anchor, which will make it a lot easier for us to really distribute the podcast pretty much everywhere. Um, pretty much everywhere, though, being not on SoundCloud. So if you are listening on SoundCloud, don't worry. It's not going away yet. We'll keep you in the loop. We'll keep flagging it up on episodes when it's about to happen. I'll put out tweets at the time. Um, but our episodes and, I guess, most importantly, our entire archive will be moving hosting. If you're subscribed via like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Podcasts, you are not going to notice any change. Everything will still be there on your phone on whatever device and there'll be no difference. This is really for people who listen via SoundCloud on browsers. 
no panic just yet. You're probably you're probably listening right now on SoundCloud if this applies to you, and that won't change immediately. But just a heads up, so you know, you have been forewarned. If you don't <laughs> listen for a few weeks, you come back and you're like, "Why are no episodes anymore?" Go check out like any other streaming platform. Um, go check out our Twitter account, and you'll find your answers there. Okay, Jordan. With that housekeeping taken care of. Let's start with um let's start with Jim Paschke. You know, maybe the biggest books news of the week in terms of uh, it's actually it's not even maybe in terms of the books fan experience and what it's been for 35 years and how it will change going forward. Um the news that Jim Paschke will be retiring as the team's TV play-by-play commentator at the end of the season is pretty groundbreaking it's not entirely surprising we we all are aware of how things work that Jim Paschke is not getting any younger but I mean for me he has entirely aside from a few uh, Gus Johnson experiments been the voice to my my books fandom my experience of watching mm-hmm. this team and for the vast majority of people listening, that certainly applies for them too. True, the the TV side of it. I know Ted Davis obviously is another very, very big figure in terms of voice of the books. But this is this is really big news, and it's something that I'm just in my head. Even I'm finding it hard to imagine to wrap my head around tuning in for books games next year, and it not being Jim Paschke on the call. Yeah, I mean, this is, gosh, I mean, I wasn't alive when he first started, <laughs> let's yeah. be clear. Um, but, I mean, that in itself just kind of shows you he's just been, I mean, what else to say? He's been a part of the fabric of Bucks broadcasts. There's been no one else, save for Gus Johnson or Zora Stevenson making her debut this year, like, there's no been no one else as the Bucks TV announcer, and I think that, I mean I think that might be true of Bucks just TV broadcasts in general. Like just considering how it was back in those days of like cable and like trying to find the Bucks, the Bucks were not, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, they didn't even have like their own TV package or deal. What even during the Don Nelson, they were more years. like the current Denver Nuggets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what it is, and so yeah, just. Again, it was not surprising to see it. It's kind of, you know, I think his reason... When COVID happened last year, I was kind of like, you know, all these people like, you know, Jim Paschke or like, you kind of just think like our... It kind of just brings up this thought of like, if if and when things return back to normal, which at the time I'm like, why am I even asking this question? But you just, you think like how things can easily change um, in, after such a thing like that and him even citing it in his announcement with his son breaking the, mm-hmm. or like asking him to retire and stuff like that and he said yeah i will do that it just kind of puts things in perspective and how you know a decision like this has been made but yeah i mean that he's been the buck's voice throughout my entire fandom and that's pretty that's could be incredibly hard to replace there's no replacing Jim Paschke, there's just someone filling in. And that <laughs> seems very <laughs> dismissive of whoever they go with and, and all that stuff. But it just, he, it's just been a part of it that you 
you know, we talk about the players like Giannis and, you know, over the years that have you attached to and glam on and why you watch these games, but it's been Jim Paschke that's been narrating and chronicling all this stuff that is just so second nature to that. So when that element is pulled away, it's going to be, you know, quite eye-opening when it happens. So it's, you know, it's bittersweet, but obviously just a hell of a run without a doubt. A hell of a run. Many years of, like, torture. I mean... Oh my gosh. (laughs) There are... There are possibly prisoners of war who've been subjected to, you know, less intense and nefarious sights than some of what Jim Paschke has had to not just watch, yeah, he picked, he picked but a, commentate he picked a on over the years. 35 years to cover the team. <laughs> um, I, I, one thing that's interesting for me with this, and it does go back to the heady times, where they heady, Jordan, of um, the Gus Johnson experiment, where I felt like I learned a lot about books fans and how they viewed broadcasts. And honestly, it really kind of baffled me because there was all this anger and upset about like, Gus Johnson sounds enthusiastic when the other team do something, Um, which was just from the sports culture that I come from in this side of the world, there aren't local broadcasts where there's this kind of Homer perspective thing. So I never quite understood that. And Gus Johnson, of course, was is a broadcaster who's worked European soccer quite a lot throughout his career. So that also probably meshed in to make it feel something somewhat just kind of organic and natural to me. A lot of people didn't feel that way. But at that time, and then in the years that followed, I kind of became acutely aware of just how good Paschke was at being a home team broadcaster, being deeply embedded, not just in the organization, but the community. And I think that's like a key thing. It's like people think of Paschke and good books teams, bad books teams. It's even a sort of thing I know over the years researching for articles and you still encounter it now and you'll find some like, I don't know, pre-drafting from like 2008. And it's like a books TV thing and Paschke's doing an interview. It's like through the good and the bad times, he was so ingrained in it that people's relationship to him became different. But when he went on Mike, he also managed to, and still manages, to give a broadcast experience that is, sure, it's from the book's perspective, but I don't think in a way that's jarring. Uh, it's not like watching a Celtics broadcast has been over the years. It's not like there you know multiple teams you could point to. And... I even remember earlier in the season, I think Zach Lowe in the 10 Things, or maybe it was a ranking of kind of broadcasts. I can't remember what format it was, but he shouted out Marcus Johnson and noted how him and Paschke are one of the best. Um, basically because they strike this balance too, that you could drop in from the outside and you'd still find it engaging and they're likable and they're smart, but it is very much rooted in something books without kind of alienating or you know fake newsing the whole thing for everyone else you know there's a there's yeah. a very kind of that's that's tough that's a that's really tough hard. balance but they ma- they managed to and Paschke has managed to kind of I guess finds the kind of the integrity right down the middle of that where how do I serve both of these audiences 
And through my own experience, like, um, if I can think back to when my regular NBA viewing experience would have come true, what was then Fox Sports Out East and Hawks games, and Bob Rappin and Dominique Wilkins um, were, and still mostly are, I think Neek is kind of in and out in a way that's the, not dissimilar to... Um, I guess not even dissimilar to Marcus, the way Marcus at times will kind of have a week off here or there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's the dynamic. I know it was a couple of seasons ago. Um, it, I liked them and they were very good, but it was in coming to watch the books that I realized just Pashi has the balance perfect. <laughs> and Bob Rappin is really good. He's one of the better play-by-play local network broadcasters in the NBA of a similar kind of age and school as Paschke. I, I saw it. he was one of the people, the many, many people paying tribute to, to Paschke on Twitter after it was announced. But I, I do wonder to what extent Bucks fans know just how lucky they've had it. Like, if Especially anyone... in a year like this year. that I think that's what kind of brought it home for me. And watching these broadcasts just because it's such a there's the experience of watching you're it's solely even more so than normal it's based built on the broadcasting team there's no one in the arenas until you know a couple months ago and it just kind of like hit home like as you know strange as this whole experience the season has been and just watching books basketball and just kind of the highs and lows of the season itself like i would say i mean this is cliche because you you know probably preserve the moment and stuff like that but like it just it hit home to me like how past year and Mar- marcus johnson and all this stuff like they have made it as normal as could be and have been arguably better than they have been over the last couple years and it just like because the it's such a warped experience that you just kind of glom on to just like how they work in tandem and all this stuff. And they have, you know, unique challenges to just broadcasting the season where they're not normally wear at their normal perch. They're wearing masks during broadcasts until they just uh the Very game. Yeah. Yeah, like everything about it has been challenging. And I think I I mean, you know, he still has a few games left, but like the, it's uh, it, he's going out on, on top in my opinion it's it's been really rewarding to see yeah and also like there's there'll be a thing that hopefully this will be relevant of how long um Bally sports wisconsin choose to carry over local broadcasts through the playoffs because traditionally it was always first round no matter what but obviously now mm-hmm. that the books are not quite a first round team anymore um, we have seen some room on that. Didn't they go up to the conference finals the year of that? Or wasn't there a plan for that last year if the team got there? I the last they definitely years, they've, did they, they've only the done E2, first round. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember that. Cause I remember seeing because I, I would have probably watched it over TNT as the Bucks melted down. <laughs> I'll be I'll be honest, I don't remember what feeds I was watching while the books were melting down last year. Yeah. I can't specifically remember but i it's in my head maybe i'm misremembering that recently they have or at least they laid out plans to go beyond the first round but look we shall see um just an incredible incredible legacy he's gonna leave behind i'm not entirely sure how the books go about replacing him i mean 
I think I do know how they will. Um, not based on any inside info. I think it's pretty logical. Most people see it. I would be surprised if Zora Stevenson isn't the play-by-play commentator next season. Um, there was that one game, which I guess could now be seen as an audition, but with her own kind of background and pedigree in basketball and how well she's done in her role, I think that could be logical and also bring someone up who already has kind of existing comfort and chemistry with Marcus Johnson or if it's Steve Novak or whoever um, factors into the broadcast. I think that's likely, but there is an element to this and this applies to commentators in all sports, which it's like there's a gravitas that someone like Jim Paschke gets only from doing it for 35 years, you know, Mm. and you can be really good and smart but it still takes some time for it to really kind of bed in where you can really feel the game. You can feel the flow. You can read, you know, when to step in and out, you know, exactly where, you know, you just get out of the way and you let your, your color commentator go for work. You let your analyst go for work. There, there will be, I think a challenge in that. And I think it's inevitable. Some of the conversations that will probably be had about the books broadcast next year regardless of who ends up in the top seat but that is most likely unless they just pluck i don't know i don't even know who you could just be like oh we're gonna go and get this person and they're there outside hire i could think of one national broadcaster with milwaukee connections oh brian anderson yeah, there was. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but there was an interesting. We are speculating. That. This is purely speculation. <laughs> so make true. it clear that you're speculating. Uh, no, because it seemed like he was in line to. I mean, there's a lot of like weird, like broadcasting changes happening, both local and national. And there's a report, I think, in New York Post about Anderson seemed in line to kind of take a step up with Marv Albert, Marvin Albert taking. Or retiring after friend. this year, yeah, our old friend. I didn't know Marvin um, was finishing up this year, or maybe I just forgot about it. I think I think it, he hasn't. It's not official, but it's like he thinks it's his last. Same for Chris Rubber, but that's for other reasons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. It's it's just gonna be weird. I mean, Gus Johnson's available. I don't know if they go round two. <laughs> there was genuinely something that worked about that, particularly him and Marcus together, and their kind of bond and dynamic was very good. But... Nothing matched, though. Nothing matched Gus Johnson and Johnny Mac. That was... Oh, oh that was the best. It was, it was so that is, rare. But... I actually had forgotten about just how weird a Gus Johnson Johnny Mac broadcast was. We probably only but got, with... like, two or three of those ever i know but i savored every one of them those are great <laughs> do you think that i i obviously i don't know what way things are if this is even an option in play but do you think there's a chance we're gonna get another jim and jim and john game to close out the season it would seem like a logical thing if it's possible i don't know i don't know that'd be i mean that'd be pretty cool I don't know if they, how they're going to do it. I I don't even know what kind of terms things I would be on. There was no, um, 
there was no such, you know, interview with Giannis that, uh, you know, Johnny Mac is stepping aside. It was just kind of, and maybe, yeah. maybe that was purely on his part, and he kind of decided, I want to retire, and I'm he wanted to do it in the quietest way possible. I don't know. Um, or maybe it was something a little bit different, which if that's the case, maybe it's not as easy to get him back. But you never know. I mean, Goodwill would definitely be there to reteam with Paschke under the circumstances. Oh, yeah. But yeah. that, that that could be cool. Um, it could be a nice kind of nostalgic thing if they could do it. But either way, look, I mean, Marcus is absolutely the best. So if it's a few more games of Jim and Marcus, we'll all savor every last one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, next. Aaron Rodgers, Jordan. Uh, oh, this guy. <laughs> is Jordan Love ready? This is all I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk about the Bucks minority owner, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> How does that work? What what will that feel like if he's playing for I don't know the Broncos? I don't. I've no idea who he could. I've seen them, the Raiders. I this is yeah. That's it's a weird story. I've got. I'm not on the inside of the story. Um, but we're seeing a peek into like how if like. How books Twitter looks from if Giannis had like requested a trade or he's like I'm not gonna play this year whatever it is and just it's self imploding. Yeah, and the interesting thing about that is this is so loud from like a distance where I just don't follow like NFL people <laughs> at all. Yeah, um, which I can only imagine to be like deep rooted in whatever Packers Twitter is. Just how much of a nightmare all of this is right now. Or Wisconsin Sports Talk Radio, the panacea that it is. Well, look, I I get to see some snippets of that. You can't, you can't follow books accounts or anything related to the books on Twitter and not be swept up by Aaron Rodgers' uh, future. So yeah, yeah. I think I've <laughs> I've worn out what I've got in Aaron Rodgers. So, um, will we go into the games now, or will we talk about the other kind of? You want to? Okay, let's talk about the games. Let's, yeah, let's do. Nets. <laughs> the Bucks beat the Nets twice. How much should or shouldn't we read into this, Jordan? This is a question I've been wrestling with. Cause there's, okay, there's the obvious they don't have James Harden. Yeah, that's pretty obvious. But also, are the games that much different to like what we're going to expect if they play in the playoffs? Nope. No. Style play is going to be the same. Same. Yeah. Are are the Nets built defensively to you know bottle up Giannis the way we've seen Toronto and Miami? No. Is Blake Griffin going to probably take out Giannis's knee? Probably. I don't know. Like <laughs> it's very <laughs> It's a, that's just one. Come on, let's and... be honest. The playoffs come around. If the books have to play Blake Griffin, it's Blake Griffin's knee that's going to be, you know. That's a good point. We've already seen that story happen before. We have. Um. So yeah, I I've been the harder thing. Yeah, it's it's always going to be there. They're not at full strength. They've played. I don't even know how many minutes or how many games it's been, but it's been very few. Um. But I think we know enough at this point that, yeah, I think whoever has home court, first of all, I think that's seems to be a pretty big deal. 
Um, and yeah, I think I would probably, if I had to give a percentage, I'd go like 65%, 65 to 70%. 65, 70%. Well, that's how much we should read. Of how real, of how real, (laughs) I don't know. What was the question? (laughs) How much should or shouldn't we read into this? So 65%, only read in 65%. It's like, stop two thirds of the way through your process of reading into it. Um, I I think everyone outside of the world of the books is gonna say, "Oh, this, yeah, you're." Let's say I'm just gonna throw a random name out there. Um, say you're Tim Bontemps of the world, right? They might say, "Not to look into this, Jordan." Mm-hmm. I know, I know, Mister Bontemps is uh, excited about the prospect of a Booksnet series. Um. I don't know if I reciprocates the excitement. On anyway, um, just don't ask. Don't, don't ask about a straw MVP poll. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna lose my train of thought now. Um, I I don't see why to play this down when you look at how the games played out. Uh, I don't think we saw the best of the books in either game, so we could talk about oh, it wasn't the best of the nets hard and wasn't there. I don't think the books had to do anything like exceptionally beyond what they can and likely will do to win those two games. I think you can insert Harden into it. And it doesn't cause the books matchup problems. Obviously, James Harden causes problems because of how gifted he is as a basketball player. But you can add Harden into the mix with Kyrie and with Durant. And I mean if we're to talk about what are the chances that if it was a seven game series, all three of those guys are available for all seven games, I would say they're pretty slim just based on how things seem to be their respective kind of places in their career and their health on an ongoing basis. But let's add James Harden to the mix for argument's sake. So, what is interesting, it's not a surprise, but like we got to see it. Because when, when was the last Books Nets game? January 18th. It was like, or yeah, it was MLK Day. That's what it was. Right. And it was Harden's debut with the Nets, too. Which, like, from that point, what could we tell for that? And Durant was out then. That was during, that was during Kyrie's. Um, yes. Sabbatical is um, a good word. Um, see, it's just like the three of them just don't exist together. Like, how do you have any rough idea of how many minutes they've played together? It must be like so small. I want to say the number is seven games, but how many minutes of that is that like? It's 20? like Giannis Chris Jabari kind of over. Yes, yeah, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's put Harden in, right? So. Drew on Kyrie. We saw quite a bit of mm-hmm. Middleton. Yeah, I think so. If Harden's there, well, he could be. He could be on Harden. If he but... more, if he's the point guard, as uh, they have made a big deal about. <laughs> I still think for size and for strength, you'd go Drew on Kyrie. Not, not that Drew isn't up to guarding Harden, but it's more for okay. What way are the books gonna distribute their defenders? Yeah. I think you'd see Chris on Harden. 
maybe, maybe you could go Giannis on Harden some more. I mean, the one thing that was really nice was Chris's defense on Durant, obviously late in the second game. Uh, which I like, okay, I like, that seems like a positive sign. Uh, and that works. But I, I think between Chris and Giannis, the Bucks can try some stuff and I think could have some success defensively. Now, that's very relative, obviously, when you're talking about Harden and Durant. But I don't think you need much more than that because the Nets are just going to give you absolutely everything you want. It's like, you just need some moments where you can shut them out and the Bucks really got those kind of spells against them. And that was with Durant having a phenomenal game, with Kyrie having a phenomenal game. Like, they got the best version of those two guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to say they beat them without breaking a sweat, but it's not like we saw some completely, you know, out of the ordinary books performance that just isn't repeatable. Because Giannis is hell bent on breaking Michael Red's record. He continues to talk about it like every day at the moment. If the books play the Nets in the playoffs, I don't see how he doesn't break that record. In the <laughs> it certainly felt like a shot in, on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if yeah, if you're really talking about the last two games, the big difference between that series and the one game that we saw back in January was like, yeah, like Harden and Durant were, you know, themselves, but like Joe Harris, one mm-hmm. the best shooter, if not the best shooter, one of the best shooters in the league, goes off for a crazy amount of points just because, you know, the Bucks defense, we know the story. If, he, if you leave, if you help off and Joe Harris is off the ball and one guy makes an easy pass, he hits the shot. He, I'd have to go back, but he did not have a good series or back-to-back, whatever you want to call it. Like it was, it was kind of like it. It was symmetrical in the way that like both the top players of the Nets and the Bucks played up to their par and standard, and it was just you know the difference of Bryn Forbes hitting shots or Pat Connaughton hitting a huge fourth quarter three, mm-hmm. and it didn't. It worked out for the Bucks this way. Where it, He's four than, quarter pot now. I know you haven't seen the Wizards game, yet, but. <laughs> Pat came up really big with his three point shooting. Yeah, yeah, his numbers generally are dipping though. But like, yeah. I was raising my eyebrow when he made like two big trees, like essential trees against the Wizards in forty seconds, maybe like last four minutes of the game, last three minutes of the game. You're kind of like, okay. Um, I mean, one of the things, and Durant came out and said it in the press afterwards. Obviously, the books just kicked the crap out of the nets on the glass and Durant is like we can't give up like 20 more shots <laughs> and expect to win mm-hmm. it's like yeah it's a good point Kevin how do you not do that though like what is their path to doing that like Bruce Brown as the weird kind of center what Dante wants to be is that well what Dante may end up having to be yeah and may end up being like in that in that regard, maybe this is the best possible matchup of any playoff series for the Bucks because they can hide Dante against the Nets yep. as a center. Like, what an insane kind of just idea that is. But we actually saw that. And was it 16 yeah, rebounds? Like 15 he had rebounds? Second? It's like, maybe that works. But it's like, what are the Nets' other options? DeAndre Jordan. And that's it. <laughs> oh, it's like, God. 
Blake is you're playing Blake, you're playing small, and Yanis has a very good track record against Blake. And I would think in a series with Blake at this age, it would only be even better than it's ever been before. Like, do they actually miss LaMarcus Aldridge for a matchup like this? Because he was, you know, legitimate size for what his game had fallen off to be and the flaws he had. I think he would have been a much better option for them than DeAndre Jordan. Like, I, I, I think they're in such a tough spot where they're going to have to play small and they're going to have to give up the glass, like, in the most dramatic way possible. And then they're really just going to have to scorch the books, which is possible. (laughs) We see it happen enough. But, I mean, I think they'd have to, to the extreme, like, four out of seven games. That, That is a potential scenario. If the books can do their thing and play to their level. But my feeling about the Nets, it remains the same as when we did our first episode back and I kind of, I opened up on my feelings of just, like, for all of their very obvious talent and the fact that they may well win a championship and could beat anyone, I don't think there's anything to fear about the Brooklyn Nets. It's like, you go in a series with the Nets, I think you'll have a chance. You'll get a chance to throw some punches. And if you connect or if you throw them at the right time, I think anyone can do anything to the Nets. The Nets could also just blow through everyone if all three kind of superstars are healthy and they catch fire at the right time and the likes of Blake look rejuvenated. And But it's like, it's what they have to do with Bruce Brown. It's what they have to do with Jeff Green. It's mm-hmm. these kind of things that don't Claxton. work. I mean, Claxton is probably a better option against the books than a lot of their others, just in terms of, again, trying to work out size. But, like, Claxton gives them more size. Claxton is not beating Giannis to rebounds. Like, no. this is this is the thing. It's just not happening. And then you do have... Chris is a really good rebounder. Drew is a good rebounder. Dante is a good rebounder. Bryn Forbes has become a really good rebounder. Yeah, I <laughs> like, had, like, many heart attacks every time I saw him boxing out late. And I was like, oh, my God, what are you... Like, oh, like it was like a no, 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 yes! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but he does have a nose for the ball off the yeah. glass. Like, it, there's More something there in his rebounding instincts. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was, again, that was in evidence against the Wizards. There's a couple of rebounds where you're like, okay, I guess this is what Bryn Forbes is doing now, and that could work. That could definitely work. So, so I know I have. This could change next week, but I have warmed on the Brent Forbes experience over the past seven days. I think there's been some really good stuff there. It's, it's probably writing it's, at an all time high. <laughs> he's been helped by Dante, even though I think there's a lot of people trying to get back on the Dante train. I mean, the Dante train must have to make a lot of stops for all of the people who get on and off. Um, but. I'm not I'm not there with that. I'm not there with that at all. I still think like, you know, whatever it was, five trees, six trees that he had against the wizards, be damned. Like that's just not like Those speak to me when he can string two together consistently in a game. And if we go into the playoffs and he's on a run like that, great. Two thumbs up. Um, but there will be challenges with some of the other elements of his game. Mostly just <laughs> they going to the rim. Was it the first Nets game or the second Nets game? And I saw second. lots of stuff. And like people are like, "Oh, he was, you know, he was better at going to the rim." I'm like, 
the first three quarters, like it's different when he the when he's going to the rim and Giannis is passing like the ball, like when he's cutting off the ball, rather than there was I if there was a second Nets game and he got he got this like crazy rebound and it's like oh my gosh Dante great and he's like going up court and it's like Dante pass the ball Dante pass the ball like Chris is right there on your left wing and then. He, like, I don't think he even got it up. I think he, like, dribbled it off his foot, and it was, like, a turnover. And it's like, okay, here we go. <laughs> I I just, I think overall, like, when you look at that game, I think there's a lot to be encouraged with how the books handled Durant. Like, Durant having very good games scoring well, but how they really made him work. And if they could do that consistently over a series given where he's been at in terms of missed games for a long time, I think that would be a real grind and a test like he hasn't had in years. I I like I like something here. I think there's there's enough here that like this is not the series that you want in the second round, here. right? No, it doesn't. Look and again, the like their talent is their talent, and the fact remains, yeah, you could get them at the wrong time, and it could be a sweep. Like they are good enough, their players are good enough. It just doesn't feel like that though, right now. It doesn't feel like that at all. It feels very much kind of a pick'em, and I like a lot of what the books have in that matchup. Uh, like much, there's something just that it's kind of. There's something that's still a bit more vague about a matchup with the Sixers, even though the books have played the Sixers with the likes of Simmons and Embiid so many times over the years. My feel for, okay, what does the seven-game series between those two teams this year look is nowhere near where it is with the Nets. But with the Nets, I think there is reason to kind of be like, okay, the books would be in that series and really anything could happen from there. And I mean, I I tweeted it after the second game, but like, if Giannis just makes free throws, <laughs> if Giannis is going to make seventy five percent of his free throws in the playoffs, the books probably win a championship. And if he'd done that the last, well, last year was a bit different and weird. If he'd done it the year before, the books would already Rappers. have a championship, like yeah. comfortably. So that's the funny thing with so many little wrinkles and details, whether it's to do with matchups with other teams or to do with the books' own schemes. It's like, well. If Giannis's free throw shooting holds up, which even in years like recent years where it's been really bad, it's got much worse in the playoffs. If there's no drop off, I don't I don't know what else will matter. Like honestly, mm-hmm. stay healthy, no drop off. The Bucks are going to be one of the very toughest outs in the entire NBA in in the postseason if Giannis can make seventy five percent of his free throws. Um, which, like, right now, seems quite feasible. What is he at for the season? Like, 68%? 68.8, and that's with a really ugly start, too. Oh my gosh, the worst it's been. Like, there was that just go the game against the Mavs where he went 1 for 10. Games. Like, the last 15 games, he's at 71%. You know, 75 is even pushing it. If he shoots 70, though, I think the books are just a very different team because it's even seeing like it's seen the hack so Blake Haxon really late in that game yep I can think of times in the past couple of years in particular oh my, where yeah. that 
that would have gotten Giannis's head, and he would have probably missed both of those free throws. He would have missed at least one, and then even if it was just one, the one he missed would have been like a bad, bad air miss. Ball. Front iron or air ball. To go up and just knock them down when it's like big marquee matchup, you're basically being called out on it. Um, it was noted by was that game on Fox? Well, not Fox Sports Wisconsin, Jordan. Nothing's on there. Was it on Bally Sports or was I watching Nashville? I can't remember, but it was noted on the broadcast, which everyone was watching of like. You know, Kevin Durant was very into the idea of, okay, yeah, let's send Giannis to the line. And was over, like, congratulating Blake. And then you make two, and then basically the Nets had to quit on that game late. Like, mm-hmm. they, they kind of early. Like, the books just went, oh, we're going to dribble out and leave. Like, Between six that, seconds, I think Dante getting that, like, rebound. Big like, rebound. With, big rebound. Yeah, it just, like, was curtains. But even then, there was, you know, there was enough there that. I was kind of like, the book should probably try to score here. <laughs> you know, rather than dribble it out, they dribble it out and the Nets are like, yeah, cool, we'll just dribble it out as well. Like, it actually deflated them, Yana's missing those free throws, where if Yana's, or Yana's making those free throws, where if he missed even one of them, yeah, they're, they're going to keep fouling and that game is going to play out differently. Yep. But once he made them, and that's that's just kind of a real snapshot of the difference that can make for the books. I think there's a lot of good there. Also, just to kind of zoom out a bit further, I mean... Teams like the Wizards, the Hornets, the Bulls, all kind of, uh, less so the Bulls, but that's a recent thing, all kind of wit something to play for. Um, In the Wizards' case, showing real signs of life. And even when it's not like comprehensive, convincing, which is something we're used to, like the books beating those teams at this time of the season, there's a sense to me that they might have a mindset building, which is, okay, we can take each game at a time, and they're that they're also approaching each game as its own thing, where it's like, okay, how do we win this game? Yep. It's not about who you're playing or what, which, again, is maybe something that was more there of, like, this is the team we'll just blow the doors off against, where this is a team, they're going to do this to us, and we've got to... I think they're better getting away from that because that can lead you to tightening up as you get to second round, get mm-hmm. to conference finals in the playoffs. It feels like they play every game just on its own terms. It's like, okay, this is the game. The scoreboard's what matters. Let's win it. Now, the one thing that needs to be said on this is the books are just the disaster of all disasters when it comes to like executing the most simple actions late in game. It's I, I just don't know how this continues to happen. Um, how they can't just get lucky and kill anyone off kind of pretty comfortably late. Like, the second Nets game was about as convincing down the stretch <laughs> as they've been for a while. And it wasn't that convincing. Um, yeah. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing just the individual errors <laughs> that get made late in games where it's like, what are you doing? What is happening? And yet... They've won, like, what, five out of their last six. Um, and even going back beyond that, it's when things have fallen apart, there's been a strong element of shooting yourself in the foot. So, I, I it's a while to me since they've had bad loss completely just not there, blown out of it. And I, I like think... that. It's an encouraging sign. Yeah. What was it? What was the game? I'm already forgetting. Doesn't matter. Suns game. Like, 
No, Suns was where they just shot themselves in the foot multiple times and the regulation overtime. Grizzlies? Um, oh, Hawks. Hawks game. Well, oh, Hawks was a larger collapse. But... Yeah. Larger collapse. But yeah, like... Just but the... that also, we said we said that on the last episode, the episode before. It's like... Yeah. In a season where you play as many games you do in the NBA and in this season where you're playing those frequently, that thing just happened. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... It's like you're just going to have a weird night where you have a complete meltdown and everything gets hot and that sort of turnaround can happen. Like, yeah, that was bad. Yeah. But it's the fact that more often than not, they're coming through those kind of late game scenarios with wins in spite of me convincing that means I don't really like I'm not. What happens when they actually start executing those situations? <laughs> they start executing again. It's like it's just game over. Yeah. And it's possible. We'll see. Um, any other observations just from recent games or uh, I was just I think the one one thing I would probably say is I'm going to hold on for dear life that PJ Tucker stays on the floor any Nets series or whatever it is because I mean you're defending two of the best scorers or whatever or one the best scorer Durant in particular, like the fact that he's just been, you know, maybe the greatest scorer ever. <laughs> yes, but man, um, yeah, I, I think I, I'm starting to understand why there was some uh, when the Bucks got him, and it was like, oh, that's all they gave up for him. It's like, oh yeah, that's all they gave up for him because, uh, yeah, he the fouls or whatever it is, and get again, he's playing against the best of the best, but like it's. It's going to be a struggle sometimes, I think. Well, I mean, the interesting thing with that is it's like Bud chose the trade-off in getting Bryn Forbes out there. Bryn Forbes battled really yes. hard. I thought I thought PJ a- was hurt because I saw someone go back in the locker room. So I was like, is he hurt? Why is he down on the floor? But then they showed him on the bench. So I was like, oh, okay, so this is the decision. And uh, Yeah, but, and I, I think that's the smart decision too because it's like – yeah. Bryn Forbes might be like a top three defender on the Nets if he played for the Nets. <laughs> so it's it's really a case of okay, we can't you cannot expend all your energy on trying to shut down Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because you can't do it, and even less so when Harden's there. You've got to be like, well, they're just not going to defend. We've got to we've got to score. We've got to do everything to maximize scoring. And Bryn Forbes certainly helped him doing that, and he had a good game. It all worked out. But that's, again, that's an interesting look into something that's kind of counterintuitive, but could become a factor in the series. Like, the same could apply. It's tougher because I think you want to go smaller, and if the Nets are going there, you can really bully them going smaller. Um, But the same could apply with where you get Bobby Porter's his minutes in a series with the Nets, where it's just like, yeah, he could just torch them. Like... This is this is what the Nets are dealing with defensively, and there's also, I mean, I I haven't watched enough of the Nets to really kind of dive in, but like, what what are the Nets doing, like, in terms of strategically, or do we even have a feel because guys are constantly injured, like, if they have Harden, Kyrie, Durant there, I think what that's... is their what is their base scheme? Yeah. I mean, what is Steve Nash as a defensive coach with Mike D'Antoni on the staff? Who's the defensive guy? Who am I forgetting? It's not Udoka, is it? There's 
I forget. There's someone other. Oh, uh, Jack Vaughn. Jack Vaughn. That's it. There's a lot about the Nets that just that intrigues me, Jordan. It intrigues mm-hmm. me. Um, it's a pity that the books have reined the Nets in so much because the Nets is a one seed. Look, you can't play that game. The books are going to just have to. They're going to have to go through two really good teams, possibly three good teams, um, to get out of the conference this year, and they're just going to have to take each opponent as it comes and look to to beat them. But. Mm-hmm. All is not lost, to say the least. Um, I don't know if you know this, Jordan. If you heard it, there was a shocking revelation this week. <laughs> Mike Budenholzer might be on the hot seat. <laughs> Did you know this? I no, can't I believe it. How did this happen? No. Seemingly, if Bud doesn't get to at least the conference finals... His job could be in danger. <laughs> this was uh, one of the noisiest book stories of the week. Don't know why. We've all been talking about this for literally a year now. Um, Do people get up at arms about it because of the timing? They come off the, the Nets series wins? I don't know, because no one was complaining like that. I think okay. we know how a large, large portion of the fan base I think generally feels about Bud. Um, uh, it's not it's not how I feel. I think it's how you feel. Like, it's just, I don't think there can be anything definitive until we get through the playoffs. We all knew what the story was. Um, but I, I do, I find it weird. I find it weird how people have reacted. I also, one of the things I find weirdest about it Context will play into it, and the books are going to be playing good teams. It was, if they yeah. go out in the second round to the Nets in seven games, and like they lose on a like a Kawhi Leonard esque, you know, buzzer beater in Game Seven, there might be some room for kind of okay, we've got, we've got to evaluate what we are as a team now, how close we are, how good we are. Um, also, maybe how good the team that beat you. Like, if you lose narrowly to the Nets in the second round, the Nets breeze through a conference finals, breeze through a finals, or the champions. What does that say? So there's there's going to be more nuances to begin with. But the first thing I'd like to draw your attention to, Jordan, you're here with me, but everyone else too listening. Mm-hmm. Did you read the full um, athletic piece um, on the various coaches on hot seats? I saw the other coaches did you read the blurbs like did you read the no you didn't the the bud blurb so say for example terry stotts in portland you didn't see some of the suggested names for coaches who could replace him no let me guess one name our old friend our old friend is one (laughs) um chauncey billups was another nate mcmillan Brent Barry. Did they fire him like 10 years ago? Four they Terry did, yeah. Stats? But... Four Terry Stats? Yeah. He's a hot property now. Yeah. Um, Why do you have that changes? But just the <laughs> the reasoning, obviously, to, to go to the Blazers example, like we all know the Blazers have been very good. They've built something very good over a long time, but yep. they've never they've never been the elite team that they would like to be. And it's kind of a sense of, well, look, we might just have to change it. 
If you're changing coach, this will also apply to the books in search of being an elite team this off season. And that's the list of candidates for your next coach. I think you're going to have to think carefully about whether you actually want to change coach in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, to be clear on that, if, um, if the books did fire Bud and the Blazers fire Terry Stotts, I think there's a very good chance that Bud could have the Blazers job if he wanted it because those other candidates Nate McMillan might be just because you know he's the hot property I, I don't know I don't there's some real danger in that for all teams involved for the Hawks and what they do um, Nate McMillan is not a coach he's done an unbelievable job but he's also not a coach that like there's no lack of uh, video evidence and kind of files on what he is and what his deficiencies are and what his teams can struggle with um, that's just that's look. That's not even the most important part of this conversation. But I just found it weird and kind of amusing the context of you know these coaches on the hot seat, where I think multiple of the coaches there would probably take a good look at the list of people who were being rumored as potential replacements and feel a little bit better about the report that they might be on the hot seat because there is not a great pool of replacements out there right now. Um, that's not to say that there aren't, there isn't a great assistant who's ready for the jump, but that's become more in vogue around the NBA in recent years, and we have really seen the, the like high degree of variance that comes with that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just Look be like Bjorkman. That's one of the first people in mind, but he's far from the only one. Um, Luke Walton. Oh God. I mean, he came um, from Golden State, but like that's... He came from Golden State. He had that glorious, one of the most successful spells any coach has ever had. Yep. He should definitely not have coached ever again just to try and preserve that. But that's one element of this. The other element, I think the more interesting element. I, we agree. If the books if the books aren't at it, like if they're not in the mix in a real way where whether they go out in conference semifinals or conference finals or finals where you're like at some point I think books fans the organization the players are going to have to feel in these playoffs that they're right there they're in it with a chance to win a championship if that doesn't happen Bud has to go yeah doesn't mean you're going to be any closer next year doesn't mean that you want to say take a step back with the next guy but if that's the case given all the money that's there given where they're at in this kind of few year journey trying to win a title Bud has to go I think that's that's fair. I think Bud would probably think that's fair. What I do think, though, probably doesn't get enough shine. It kind of gets a backhanded mention here and there among books fans, but also nationally, is that I think Bud and the books and Bud and his staff and then the books as a team, which then goes down to individual players also deserving credit. I think collectively they've done everything that they could do this regular season. Like, they have done the best of what they needed to do because there was nothing to be gained by them rolling out the same system and winning whatever equivalent to 60 games again and being a dominant number one seed in the East to only get tripped up down the line. We've basically seen them have reps at addressing all of the problems we talked about before. 
Like, there are things that they just may not be good at. Closing out in trees, I think, are going to be a problem, no matter what the system is. We've talked about this. I think there's some ingrained bad habits. I think some of their players, key players, that's not necessarily their strength defensively, for whatever reason, might be to do with some of the coaches who were there and their key developmental years. Who's to say? Not I, Jordan, not you. Um, But, like, when the Raptors conference final series ended... I remember you, Dan, Larson, and I on an episode, and we were talking about a variety of different things. We were talking about them not switching enough. We were talking about adjustments. We talked about, you know, how the Bucks floundered both, like, physically and from a fatigue point of view and mentally in close games and whether they would got enough reps, all of these different things. A lot of that came to the fore again after they lost the Heat, although we'll all agree, weirder season overall. I mean, this year, they've got a chance to address a lot of those things and at least put themselves in positions where we've seen good results. Not university good results by any means, but we've seen good results in all of those things were, were definite. If not weaknesses, they were blind spots or they just were unexplored kind of areas of their game before. To me, that that leaves me with quite a lot of confidence, more confidence than I've had in this team, certainly since Bud's first year. Because there isn't, just even for opposing teams game planning for the books, there is an element of unpredictability that wasn't there before. No. I mean, I think you... Especially last year. Especially last year. But I think you could, if your game plans play the books in the playoffs, I think it's probably safer to assume they're going to be small-ish and they're going to switch. That's Mm -hmm. right now what my read on it would be. I think that's... It's close to probably 50-50 over the season, but as the year has gone on, we've clearly seen more of an emphasis on that approach and bringing P.J. Tucker in only further kind of flag that up for everyone. That doesn't mean, though, that the books can't go back to drop defense and have some successful spells as a kind of change-up. It doesn't mean, like they have been doing, that they won't go zone and have some success in that. Like, that is interesting. Uh, the, it still will come down to, like, but actually triggering this in the playoffs and just being like, okay, we are going to make the change. Mm-hmm. But the tools are there in a way they weren't before. I I just, I struggle to see what people wanted out of this season as we reached this point in the year. Like, we're nearly there to what we all agreed about nothing matters before the, the playoffs. So the fact that they did, they had to play 72 games before that. If anyone was to make a list of what they want to see out the books before then, I don't. I honestly don't know what you could have asked for that we haven't actually seen. I think coaching staff deserve a lot of credit for that. I think the players deserve a lot of credit for that. And now we're all going to find out just how real that is or if there's even more that they've kind of worked on that will be kind of tucked up their sleeve as we get to the postseason. But I, it's such a, like bizarre and inane conversation to be like oh, if the books don't books don't make a really deep run the bud is on the hot seat it's like yeah we all knew this we all knew this a year ago he would have been on the hot seat last year if that season wasn't weird like we knew that coming off of you make the conference finals and you're like really there in the conference finals in the first year that's literally the case every season from now on so there's nothing nothing at all new there I think he's done really good work. Whether it's enough, whether 
he'll get out of his own way enough to make that payoff in the postseason remains to be seen. I don't think they do all that work, though, to just not do it in the postseason. I don't think he changes yeah. as much as he yeah. has this year to not actually, you know, possibly overcorrect, possibly be too kind of, you know, quick to, okay, that's not working. We're going to try this. We're going to try this. That it's, it's probably a dream scenario based on some of what we've seen before. But I, I wouldn't rule out the possibility that at times we're like, the books need to kind of just settle down into this game in a way, you know, or settle down into this series. They need to find something to hang their hat on. That's somewhat of what I'm actually anticipating from the books at this point when the playoffs kick off. Yeah. What what was unknown for the Bucks in terms of how they would play the system, all that stuff, that gritty stuff that we love, <laughs> um, is now known. But, I mean, and... I know we we focus on just how things ended last year and stuff like that, but like bubble or no bubble, four months without basketball or, or not. Like we all knew Miami was the worst matchup for the Bucks. Bucks were built, whether it was solely Bud or how Horst had the the roster, it was built one way, and they did you know spectacularly for you know uh, the first what five months of the regular season, and it has limitations on that. You can't, you can't ask Robin Lopez to start, you know, coming up and showing or switching or like, you know what I mean? Like it was built one way. So I like, as much as the blame has, you know, fell on, Bud, it fell on Giannis, obviously from, you know, just kind of, he's the MVP and that, you know, that whole talk, the Bucks were built one way last year and it led to their demise. It, they couldn't have, they could, as much as we in the moment and just, you know, complain about various things and just, you know, uh, minutes distributions or whatever the case may be, because there's plenty of grievances all around. They weren't built to survive in the way that they are. They could this year, plain and simple. So as much as that fall, the, the fallout from that second round loss to the heat has, you know, heated up this hot seat quote unquote everything stems from the fact of how things ended in bud's first year that's kind of set the wheels in motion of how where we are right now and the need to change and all that stuff it, it's only last year only brought it home even more but i think as much as we the focus is on last year it i think i mean personally speaking i would focus on being having gone through the season in 2018-19 winning 60 wins outplaying expectations by a wide margin um even for the most optimistic bucks fans after seeing kid go everything stems from that series for me in terms of how it could have eased everything could have changed it could have been a totally different you know we wouldn't be here talking about all this had things gone differently like I, I don't know if you agree or disagree with this, but if I'm being honest, I don't have vivid memories of the 2019-20 playoff run. I just don't. Those games, it's like, yeah, they're all blur. I can't differentiate between them. 2018-19, completely. The whole season, story. that whole season, the whole, I... the whole season. Now, part of that may just be because that was the massive upswing. It was the great big change for us, um, but I, I do think it's also kind of tied to. 
the opponents, the games, the way the books were set up, things too. I mean, that's a key thing as well. For all of that, the books have been rightly criticized and Bud's approaches and favored kind of strategies have been uh, scrutinized over his time with the team. There is another factor at play, which is in the years where his first two seasons, where he built a team a certain way, they had so much success. There's just a weird confluence of factors where there was actually a couple of teams who were almost uniquely equipped to offer a counter to what the books had. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe physically in terms of more than anything else, which is really a massive element of what the books are. It has been since day one when it used to be about, oh, they can all stretch their arms out and just cover the court when it used to be kids blitzing defense. Like this has long been when John Hammond was just like picking any giant long-armed man off the street and being like, (laughs) you're the starting point guard or center. Um, Like that is not the case now. Kind of by accident. Because Mm -hmm. the way other teams have just kind of formed as the books have been forced into evolving, they do have a roster that when we talk about the Nets, you're like, the books have some advantages here that against most other teams are in the way we might view it in our head, Dante being an example of where you could have Dante play center nominally, as much as positions just wouldn't matter in that series, play center guarding Bruce Brown in a series with the Nets. Like, that is not an option the books had against the Raptors two years ago. It's not an option they had against the Miami Heat last year. I don't know if there's a single team in the East who can do that to them. Maybe it's the Sixers. Maybe. Maybe it's the Sixers. Certainly, Dante is not going to be playing center against the Sixers. We can say that. Things aren't going to be as switch-oriented. But you know what? The books do still have what they had before, which is Brooke Lopez and the ability to go into that series with a very different approach and also possibly with a fresher Brooke Lopez than ever. Like if it got to that, if that was a conference finals, don't think Brooke will have seen as much floor time against the Nets. Um, And he could be coming into that with some kind of renewed energy and purpose and desire to really play his part in that. But it's, that's an interesting dynamic too. It's like the books aren't as good as they have been. Not just the East, though, but the NBA generally. I don't know where the team is that's, you know, as well equipped to just, this is going to tear them down. This is going to shut them down particularly. Because that's the thing, um, that after the playoffs, before playoffs, we talk about defense a lot. I find after the playoffs, a lot of it ends up going back to the offense. Yeah. And it's it's what doesn't work. So, like, we've even, we've been guilty of it in this episode, where you talk about the defense, mm-hmm. you talk about the defense, and then they lose, and you're like... Yeah, we knew we know the defensive problems, but they were close enough that if they were just like able to do anything more offensively, the defense may not have mattered. I think they're in a situation this year where there isn't an obvious team where you're like, they're gonna throw that off. Like maybe the Heat could still do it if they play the Heat in the first round. Maybe they could, but it's a very different Heat team in very different circumstances than it was a year ago. Yep. So all of that plays into things in a really interesting way. Like I'm I'm excited. I hesitated to say I'm excited about what these playoffs could be for the books. I think they're going to be interesting. They're going to be different and weird. And they're going to be that generally. Like, who's going to come out of the West? 
just in terms of what the playoffs are, like who's coming out of the West? And we can't even play the games we used to where it's like, oh, well, if they played this team in the finals, it's like, no. I don't know who they play in the finals, but if the Bucks <laughs> got out of the East, I'd like their chances. Yeah. It would be how I'd feel about it. Because it just, it is that open between kind of maybe 10 teams um, across both conferences. We'll see how it plays out. Home court for a second round series with the Nets, as you mentioned, could still be key. And that's, it's one game now. Um, Books obviously have the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. I think the, the Nets play the Mavericks tonight? Yes, they do. I don't know what the rest of their schedule is like. I believe know? it's now, because the Bucks like games that. are out of the way, it's it's the strength that opposing strength the schedule has gone down. I mean, we also don't know how much the Nets will care about that. Um, That's a good point. They, they, more than any other team, might just have reason to rest players. I mean, their next two games are the Mavericks and the Nuggets. Mm. Like, with a one-game gap, that's pretty interesting from a Bucks perspective. I mean, the Bucks aren't really playing anyone. Like, the Heat, no. that's it. Um, but then, how much will the Bucks care, too? We'll see. It's going to be interesting to follow over the last six games, but I think either way, the playoffs are set up to be something very different than something with a lot of intrigue from the Bucks. Uh, last but not least, we had reports surface on Wednesday. I had to pause to remember what day yesterday was. Um, that former summer leaguer with the Bucks, Elijah Bryant, um, was rumored to be signing with the team. Nothing more has come of that yet. It's clear that there is a complicated path to that. Um, buyout conversations with... Is he... I've forgotten. Is it Maccabi Haifa or Maccabi Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. Um, buyout talks with Maccabi Tel Aviv will have to take place because there isn't an option there. But Elijah Bryant seems to be keen to get to the NBA sooner than later. Um, the Euro League is over from his point of view in his current situation. So it seems to be something that, you know, the books have had an eye on probably since he was at Summer League. Like he was great in Summer League. You know how I feel about Summer League. One of the few actual basketball players I think I've ever seen at Summer League where you're like, oh, this guy, not only does he look good, but he looks just kind of like competently skilled like Mm -hmm. he's got control of his game he does not look like he belongs in this setting at all where everyone else is like running around with their hair on fire um if they could get him before the playoffs i think it's interesting like it's not like he's gonna crack the rotation but you just never know what kind of scenario could present itself a good size he's skilled he's comfortable on the ball really good shooter and like, it's only last week we were talking about, what do the Bucks do at, like, shooting guard? And their options are terrible. If something turned really bad in a series and, like, Dante just wasn't working, Bryn just wasn't working, um, he could be an option for some minutes if they do get it over if the line. But that, that remains to be seen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand why there, there was something about... Uh, they already have a plan in place to sign uh, in the offseason. And things have expedited, as <laughs> clearly, um, whether it's, you know, the 
falling out of the EuroLeague early or whatever the case may be. But, I mean, if they do it before a free agency and do it on a very team-friendly deal, which probably, I mean, if you're going to do it, that's the reason why. Um, yeah, I mean, I've certainly... Yeah, but I've, also, right, if, they're gonna, if they are going to sign him and they're going to get a real deal, if he's on a two-way contract and they're going to sign him, you've got to get years in the deal. Get yeah. years on the deal. Like, like, like the Diakite. Just kind of like don't do a don't do like a one plus one <laughs> style deal where it's like if he has a good season next year and he becomes important, it's like, oh well he's gone. Great. Yep. You know, I, I understand some of the financial reasons for this, but this is a situation where you're a really good team, the guy's playing in Europe, he wants to get to the NBA. One, he would love years. Yep. You're going to give him guaranteed years in an NBA deal. He's going to be excited for that. But two, like you need more of that. You need some of that for one roster security and a sense of what you're doing. But also for trade chips, like this is always a problem with the books. It's like even players who've been good this season, let's say during the season, if the books wanted to trade Bobby Portis or Bryn Forbes, they're just rentals. No one, yeah. no one can get invested in it beyond that. Their value isn't what it could be because of the deals that you're agreeing to. I know the risk reward in that. I know they could have ended up being terrible deals and then you've got a problem. But turns out you can get out of them too um, because the books did that with DJ Augustine. Like, yeah. I, I think if you're going to go this route and you're going to take a flyer on it, take a real flyer. And particularly when I look at some of the rest of the roster. I think there's a few kind of cutesy players on this roster that books fans are kind of excited about. And I'm like, this is it's, it's, it's not too much. There's something a little bit delusional. I think about the feeling is about some of the players in this roster back end of the roster. And I don't think it takes a lot of figuring out, but also I don't think it'll be immediately apparent to anyone who I'm talking about. Cause there are, more than there has been with the books yeah, for quite a while. They're like, there are four, four to five candidates in that kind of sphere. But I think there's a couple of players where you're just like, I don't I don't think they're going to be NBA players as much as everyone might get excited and like. I just don't see the path to that. So Elijah Brown is 26. Yep, He's shown something at a very high level. And I think physically, skills-wise, just like in terms of the whole package, he is the opposite of that. It's like, yeah, he could be an NBA role player. He could actually just turn out to be a really, really good one. Maybe he won't. Maybe it won't work, but you don't know unless you, you know, buy a ticket in that particular lottery and find out. And the book should be better positioned than any other team with him. But Jordan, it is always possible, particularly with the Milwaukee books, that some interest is leaked well in advance. A notable target, someone they want to add in the offseason. And, you know, the offseason will roll around and he'll end up signing elsewhere. It's very much in play. Did you, did you see the game that Austin Rivers had last night? No, I didn't. Was it good? <laughs> yeah, I think he had like 25 against the Knicks. It was against the Knicks too, so there's some added. I don't, I don't understand. I do not understand why the Bucks did not sign Austin Rivers. Maybe it was to sign Elijah Bryant. They're like, no, we don't want older, short term. I could talk myself into that, but that will require the books actually getting a deal over the line for someone they're reported <laughs> to be close to getting. Um, so we'll see on that. Uh, well, I haven't seen much of Austin Rivers play, but I have seen his interviews constantly on Twitter. He's making a lot of 
a lot of noise, not in like he's saying controversial stuff, in a very positive way mm-hmm. about look at Austin Rivers, the ultra smart veteran, the perfect guy to bring into a locker room at this time of the year. Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds good. And uh, he's got some skills that would be useful to contending teams too. But, you know, what can you do? Something. But they didn't. So here we are. Any final thoughts, Jordan? No. I, yeah. Well, there's, what is it? Six games? Six games? Yeah. Six games left. We're almost there. Almost there. Um... We'll be back next week. We'll probably do a mailbag again next week. There's just enough different things to get through that I didn't trust adding a mailbag. And then if Jordan and I went long on any of them, we could be here for like five or six hours. (laughs) So it's better not to risk the mailbag this week, but the mailbag will return next week. Um, In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Pocket Casts too. You can follow us on SoundCloud, but if you're going to do that, be aware that we will be moving soon. I will continue to give more updates, both on social media and on the podcast itself for that. Again, though, if you are subscribed via one of those other platforms, this is not going to be of any concern for you. But more updates will come when they are relevant, so no no worries on that. Just a basic piece of housekeeping. I think that's all I've got, Jordan. Yeah. So I've got two. You can also you can also if Jordan has anything else, you can check that out on behindthebookpass.com. Um, along with the writing for the rest of the team there. We are on Twitter at winin6, that's the number six podcast. Make sure to follow us there, and we'll be back to you again next week. Thanks all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.